covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. It is the all-star break edition here of the podcast as the Brewers. They are done with the unofficial first half of the season and they are a first-place club. They have a four-game lead on the Cincinnati Reds going into the All-Star break after losing three out of four against Cincinnati, and they are going to match up against Cincinnati again in a three-game series that is set to begin coming up on Friday. More on that in a moment. First off, our housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. Want to get in contact with me, do so on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And uh, if you do listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast, I want to leave a ranking and review. And probably even more important than that, subscribe to the podcast. That would be very, very, very much appreciated. So what do we say about this Brewers team? The good stuff, they are a first-place club. They have a four-game lead in the division. They are 53-39. and 39. From an overall league standpoint in the National League, only the San Francisco Giants and Los Angeles Dodgers have a better record than the Brewers. That's the positive. The negative, they are a flawed club. I think you can say that about most teams in Major League Baseball, though. They are a flawed club. They are not an especially good offensive club. They have struggled to score runs at times. They have struggled to score runs at times when playing against good teams. Um yeah, and they, there's certain positions on the field that they're just not getting the offensive production that you would like to like to see. They're not getting much out of first base. They're not getting much out of center field. Even third base has kind of been hit or miss through much of the season. Luis Arias has done a nice job in that spot recently, but you kind of view Arias as being somebody that might bring more value to the team when he's more of a a utility type guy when uh, when he first when Uli Adamas first arrived and he was going to be platooning over at third with Travis Shaw and then spelling Colton Wong at second and maybe spelling Adamas at shortstop doing things like that uh, it felt like that was going to be the spot for him to have the most success Travis Shaw goes down you put him at third he's essentially been the everyday third baseman for the Brewers and he's done a nice job there don't get me wrong he's done a nice job I think the most surprising aspect of what Luis Urias has been able to do this year is his ability to uh, have power, hit home runs. Uh, and that's what you really want to have out of the person who plays third base. I was thinking about this because going into this series against Cincinnati, the general thought process was you'd love to see the Brewers take three out of four, but even a split, if you can split the four-game series, you feel pretty good about that because the Reds walk into Milwaukee and then they walk out of Milwaukee and they're no closer to first place than when they walked in. Well, it doesn't work out that way because the Reds take three out of four and they are able to close in the division lead over Cincinnati is down to four games. That's not a lot. This is a this is a legitimate divisional race. It was not that long ago. It was less than a week ago where it looked like the Brewers were on the cusp of starting to run away with the division, and it doesn't feel like that quite as much. Now we'll see what the Brewers do during the three-game series in Cincinnati for whatever reason. It does feel like when you get into this final weekend before the All-Star break, that is a time period where the Brewers tend to struggle 
a lot of focus is on what happened a few years ago in the NLCS year when they went into Pittsburgh for a five-game series and got swept in that five-game series. And clearly that did not impact that season in a negative fashion whatsoever. I do think it is legitimate, though, to be not alarmed. I don't even know what word, like cognizant? Is that a word? Just, yeah, aware of the fact that, okay, this is a Cincinnati team that's been on a pretty good run here, and in addition to being on a pretty good run, they've also had the Brewers' number in the sense that of the last seven games between these two teams, the three-game series that was played in mid-June and then this uh, four-game series, that the Reds have won six of those seven. That uh, That is a notable thing, and if the Brewers would be closer to 500 and you know if they would even if they would have just won three of the seven all of a sudden it's you know that it's a six game lead not a four game lead in the division so you'd like to see them have success against Cincinnati and we'll see if they're able to do that coming up uh, when they come out of the all-star break I still do think that when you look at the areas where this club would like to improve and I know they made the move this past week for uh, for Rowdy Telez at first base I, for me personally, and I, I don't know what David Stearns and Matt Arnold are thinking, I didn't feel like the Telez move was a move to be able to, like that was a big long-term first base kind of move. I thought that was a Band-Aid move. They lost Daniel Vogelback. Keston Hero was not performing. Um, it, was, it was a situation where you really wanted to, to bring somebody in who could kind of fill that Daniel Vogelback role, and it works out well because uh, to let if Vogelback comes back and you say he's the guy that you want on the big league roster, you're able to send Telez down this year. He's already he's he, this is an option year for him. He's already been uh, up and down. He's got another option left. So even next year you're able to do. There's some club control with him, so it's a band aid move for him. But it's also somebody that you do have a little bit of club control on if they are able to uh, to continue to develop. So I say all that to simply say, I don't think that's the move. If they want to really improve first base, they're going to be able to do so. There are some legitimate first basemen out there. Now, what are they willing to give up? That's a good question. Uh, They're not known for having the best minor league system. That being said, they are, they're pretty good. They are pretty good at being able to produce major league talent from the minor leagues. It feels like sometimes uh, from a national standpoint, whether it's MLB Pipeline, whether it's Baseball America, sometimes many of the Brewers players are a little bit underrated when it comes to their prospect status. Uh, so they're able to produce. But you, when you're the Brewers, and, and I know people don't want to hear small market stuff and money stuff, but here's the bottom line. When you're the Brewers, you compete by having cost-controlled players. And then you pick and choose what major league free agents you're going to give big money to. But that's it's not a it's not a situation like New York. It's not a situation like Chicago. It's not a situation like LA or San Diego where you're going to be able to put together a large percentage of your roster based off guys who have reached major league free agency or guys that you extend and buy out some of those years uh, by giving them big money. That's just not the way the Brewers are, are, are going to do things. They have money. I think they, des- they, ha- they deserve a lot of credit for the amount of money they've spent, but having cost-controlled players will continue to be a big part of the Brewers' success. So 
when they're making these decisions on what they're willing to give up. And I do, right now, rooting for bad teams to be really bad and rooting for like average teams to go into absolute free falls between now and July 31st, that's what you want. You want the teams that are kind of hanging on, the teams that are sort of clinging. You know, you look at the uh, you look at the wild card standings in the American League. You've got include you've got one, two, three, four, five, six. You got seven teams right now that are within five and a half games of one of the two wild card spots. In the National League, you have four teams. That are six and a half. You have seven, four, five, six. Yes, yeah, seven teams that are within seven and a half of one of the wild card spots. You want those teams, some of those teams that are four games back, three games back, five games back, six games back. You want those teams to fall even further back where their front office, if they're on the fence about whether or not to go for it, you know, stand pat, sell, or buy. If some of these teams are thinking stay in pat, you want them to buy, you want them to sell, and even for the teams that are maybe in buy mode. I look at the St. Louis Cardinals stuff. Talked a lot about the Cardinals lately because I still think they're the second best team in the division. I know that their record is not what the record is of the Cincinnati Reds, but I, I look at that team, and it's not the same since they lost Jack Flaherty. But you know, it's kind of funny because as we're recording this, the Cubs and the Cardinals have the exact same record. The Cubs are clearly going to go into sell mode. The Cardinals have not indicated that whatsoever. So if the Cardinals are still trying to buy, that's that's not you know that's not a great thing because then you've got you've got more buyers. So all of a sudden there's you know from a competitive standpoint, just the you know marketplace standpoint, you got more suitors. So all of a sudden there's going to be uh, an opportunity where other teams are going to be bidding against other teams, and it's one less team that might be selling. You want the market to be flooded with teams that are selling because then you're able to get things kind of at a lower price. And that's what I think if you're a Brewers fan, you should be rooting for right now. These teams that are just kind of fringe contending, they need to fall off. They need to fall off in a big way here between now and July 31st. But overall, it's a good first half. It's a really good first half for the Brewers. Pitching has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, They've been able to win a lot of games with an inconsistent offense. They, for the most part, defeated the teams that they are supposed to uh, defeat. Uh, all in all, I just think it's been, um, it's been a fun, fun first half, a good first half. The Brewers' record against the Central Division is 24 and 17. That's not bad. That's a, that, that, that's a fine place to be. The Reds are 25 and 13. Uh, the Reds have a good divi- divisional record, and that's a, a large reason that they've been able to. Uh, get to where they're at. It's kind of funny. You look at the record against the West. The Brewers are 19 and six. They've had a ton of success against the Padres and the Dodgers, while the Reds are 10 and 20 against the West. Uh, so that's uh, that's part of the reason that uh, the Reds are not closer to the Brewers in the standings because of their struggles against the National League West. All right, uh, this is what we've got coming up this week. Uh, again, it's kind of a it's a look back at the week as always, but it's also a look back at the first half as we are at. Uh, what is essentially the biggest mile marker post of the season, the All-Star break. And it's a good place for the Brewers to be because they are a first-place club. 
Uh, this week, our featured conversation is with Matt Carroll from uh, Reviewing the Brew and the Cold Brew Podcast. In fact, let's go ahead and get to this week's conversation. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers x Ratings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We're very happy to welcome this guy back onto the podcast. He is a uh, contributor at uh, Reviewing the Brew. had been in a, uh, a co-expert, co-editor type role for a while. Taking a little bit of a step back from there, but uh, certainly continuing to uh, contribute in a big way and also part of the uh, Cold Brew uh, podcast along with David Gasper, who's also a uh, regular guest here on Brewers Externing the Podcast. It is Matt Carroll. Follow him on Twitter at MKEMatt13. Hey, Matt, how are you? I am good. Um, we've taken a little br- uh, break from the Bucks game to record, um, but doing well today. Yeah, we're uh, ho- right now. Things are going very well for the Bucks, so we'll see what yes. happens uh, later on. But uh, a snapshot in time, we're recording this <laughs> at about the halfway mark. Uh, they just went to halftime, and things are going well. So hopefully, things continue to go well in the second half as well. Yes, agreed. Um, let me. Okay, you know what? Everybody's talking Bucks. Let me ask you this: You're you're a Wisconsin guy through and through, right? Yes. Yep. Born and raised. What does it mean to you? Like, we're, it, so much has been made recently. There was the stuff on social media, which I, I really wasn't a big fan of when people were kind of discussing so many of the big games that Wisconsin teams had lost in recent years. Because, again, to lose a big game, you got to be in a big game. And if you're in a big game, you've probably had uh, a fairly successful season. But what does it mean to you as a Wisconsin sports fan your entire life to see? Yeah, I just I was listening to uh, the pregame show on, on WTMJ when I was driving home from the Brewers game on Sunday. And uh, they were doing it in the Deer District, and you could barely hear what was going on. And, I mean, you're still like an hour before the game. Like, it's just crazy. Crazy. What does it mean to you uh, as a Wisconsin sports fan to see NBA Finals games being played in Milwaukee? I mean, it's amazing. It's it's great for everyone in the state, the city of Milwaukee, the state of Wisconsin. Um, at times, we feel like we've been a little bit spoiled uh, these last, you know, this last decade or so, let's call it. Um, and though we haven't quite gotten to that finish line, past the finish line, since uh, the Packers' last Super Bowl win, it, it's still great for the fans of this state and city to be able to see this success um, year after year lately. And you know, it's it, it's it's tough when you don't you know get to see that ultimate win. Um, but we're going to get there. The Bucks are close. The Brewers have been close. Um, the Badgers pump out. Let's not forget um, the collegiate level the Badgers pump out really close teams every year um the fans of this city and states are amazing fans and they will get behind their teams viciously when they they are rolling well so um we just need to get there and reward all these fans for uh what they've gone through over these last few years yeah and you know this is one of my big things, and there are certainly a lot of people who take issue with me when I, when I say this, and, and I understand why they do, but I feel like it's okay to say that a season was successful even if you don't win a championship. Like I go back to when the Brewers got to Game 7 of the NLCS 
that was a successful season. They got very far into the postseason. Uh, even the year that they that they lost in the wild card round, it that was a successful season. In the fact that they're they're in the postseason, and it's always like you know the it's it's like the Ricky Bobby. If you're not first, you're last thing, and that's not true. And there's certain level of success. Obviously, if the Brewers get to the World Series that year, it is a more successful year. If they win the World Series, it is a more successful year than that. But there's there's certain levels of success, and there to me, there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, that was a successful season, even in a year you don't win a championship. No, I totally agree. And let's not forget, too, that success breeds success. It's not always just about that single year. You know, no one wants the Brewers to just have this amazing season and then be irrelevant for the next decade, like a lot of us put up with for so many years before they got good in the late 2000s. Um, By having sustained success over the years, it allows teams to have something to build upon, for one, um, but it also starts making those teams a destination. You know, how many years before all of this recent run of success were free agents and, you know, potential um, trade acquisitions wanting to come to Milwaukee, whether it was for the Brewers, whether it was for the Bucks. Now, this is a destination city. Guys want to play on these teams, and so that allows you to continue having these big years. I uh, yeah, I talk to a lot of the Brewers players when they – and, you know, after they get signed, if they sign a free agent contract or something like that in December, January, we try to get them on the the Brewers Weekly Show we do on Thursday nights on WTMJ. And one of the things I hear over and over and over from new Brewers is when watching, and this has a lot to do with the NLCS the year because I mean that was just a really fun team. And I think if this team goes that far, I mean they've especially since the arrival of Willie Adamas, this team has become a lot more fun. But there there seems to be something about people who watch the Brewers on TV, see them being having fun, seeing it look like a really good, enjoyable environment, and then you get into the offseason, you're a free agent and the Brewers show interest, and you, you want to go there. You mentioned it being a destination. And, and for me, that's one of the big things I've noticed here over the last few years. Obviously, great fan base, and, and fans are going to attend games, and that absolutely matters to players, but also the culture that has been set and the fun that is being had, things like that. I think that does matter when players are considering uh, you know, multiple offers as free agents. Absolutely, and credit Craig Council for um, building the type of culture that he wants to have in that dugout and clubhouse that makes the players want to come here. And we've talked um, on the Cold Brew podcast a few times about you know how that atmosphere has changed a little bit over the years. Um, you used to have these big personalities um, like your Jesus Aguilar's and your Hernan Perez's and um, players like that. And some of that has changed uh, from now and, or then until now. Uh, yet it is still the club, a clubhouse that players want to be a part of. Yeah. And big, big credit for, to not just Craig Council, um, but the rest of the coaches on that staff and the players on the team for making it that way. Yeah, I th- it's a big thing. And I've, I've talked about it at nauseum, just that 
I like Craig Council. I think he's a good in-game manager. But even if I didn't think he was a good in-game manager, I'd still think he was a, a really good fit because it's almost – you win and lose games more often than not with your players. I'm not saying managers don't make an impact. They do, but it's really it's a, it's a minimal impact that a manager has. There's a, there's a handful of games every year that maybe a manager truly impacts uh, the win or the loss, and those are important games to be had, but it's more about – the, the creating the environment, the culture, all those things. The way the Brewers win, the way they do, I think goes a lot to uh, what, what takes place behind closed doors and what takes place in the afternoons before games and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to see what this team has kind of molded into um, and what we get to see before our fairy eyes. And so, you know, Brewers fans, we have this for, you know, several years hopefully to come. Um, just by how they've built this, how Stearns has built the team, the culture of the team, just um, everything is just great for the fans right now. I was thinking about this on Sunday after the game because the Brewers lose three out of four against the Reds, and all of a sudden you look at the division and it's a legit like race again. You know, you, you the Brewers look like they were starting to run away with this thing, and now all of a sudden the Reds are within four, and they're still got three straight more games against each other in Cincinnati. And the Brewers they have struggled against Cincinnati. They got swept in a three game series a couple weeks ago, and now they lose three out of four. And we talk so much, Matt, about every game is just one of one sixty two, and that is very true. And one hundred and sixty two games are a lot of baseball games. But then I got thinking to myself, and I talked about this on the post-game show on Sunday, that is absolutely true. Every game is one of mm-hmm. 162, but at the same time, it struck me that if the Brewers split that series against the Reds, it feels like everything is fine. They did not lose any ground from when the series started, but by losing three of four, you lose ground. So I kind of talk out of both sides of my mouth because, yeah, it's one of 162, but losing on Sunday and losing three out of four against the Reds where they're really able to kind of legitimately be back in this thing and taking some momentum into the All-Star break, it felt like that loss on Sunday was maybe a little bit more than just one of 162. Agree or disagree with my uh, my general thesis there? I, I, I do agree. Um, we have to remember, though, um, things like this have happened. There are going to be streaks. Um, not just this year, but they've happened in previously successful years. Um, we point back to, and I'm sure you've talked about it recently, um, that losing streak to the Pirates going into the All-Star game back in 2018. Mm-hmm. They dropped five straights there. Everything worked out just fine in the end. Um, this weekend, it felt like, I guess the reason I don't get too down on it is because it felt like you know one or two things go the Brewers' way Let's say that they may or may not have been umpiring related. Um, and the Brewers might end up taking three or four in that series, and then things look fantastic. So, um, you know, if Hayter doesn't um, blow his first couple saves of the year, um, you know, maybe that happens. So we just got to remember, it's, this team in particular feels just streakier yeah. than past teams as well. Um, and so these dips are going to happen. They happens right there at the end of a... Um, June as well. So all that matters is that they don't let the lows get too low. Just turn it right back around. Coming out of the All-Star break, they'll have players like uh, Colton Wong, it sounds like, coming back. Lorenzo Cain's on a rehab assignment right now. He'll be back soon. Um, Those will provide boosts to the offense, which, as we know, has kind of been the issue lately. They 
Um, since Sunday's game against the Pirates, they've scored just a shade under, I believe it was two and a half runs per game. That's not going to do the trick. No. So as long as they spin things around from that, um, they'll be doing well. They're at the top. That's all that matters. Yeah, if they can score four or five runs a game, I think that's kind of the number that I look at. And when they mm-hmm. were in, the, when they were winning all those games, when they were in their eleven game winning streak, they were doing that. They were scoring four or five runs a game. They were getting add on runs, seventh, eighth, ninth innings. Uh, they were getting a whole lot of runs uh, during during that period. You mentioned the umpiring, and it was really bad. <laughs> I mean, it was those first three games of the Cincinnati series. I don't know if I've seen three worst consecutive games in terms of umpiring ever. Uh, it uh, it certainly hurt the Brewers. You think about the you know Castellanos not getting uh, struck out on on what looked like a strike three call and then hitting the three run home run. Like clearly there was an advantage to the Reds with that. At the same time, the umpiring was really bad in each direction, and maybe you can't like specifically point to a call like that. You know, should have been strike three to Castellanos that really does you know kind of flip the game one direction or another. But at the same time, when the umpiring is really bad in both directions, I have a hard time blaming umpiring for losses. Like we can we could talk about the umpire, and I have no problem being critical of the umpiring. But when it's when it's really bad in both directions, I have a hard time blaming it for for any wins or losses in this in that time period no i totally agree it, it definitely did go both ways um and despite though some of those atrocious calls um the brewers had plenty of opportunities to win certain games in this series so no i'm also never the type of person to just put it on umpiring even games where it does feel one-sided um but like you said it there were bad calls bad strike zones um against both teams so no i'm not going to put it on them but boy was that series just a display of kind of some of the uh worst of the mlb umpires this season brian unora on hit one hit the day he was behind the plate Mm. Of the 10 worst calls in all of Major League Baseball, of every single Major League Baseball game that day, of the 10 worst calls, he had nine of them. That is, I have never, I have never seen that before. And to be wrong, uh, one out of every 10 pitches on your ball strike, like that's just, that that can't happen. I don't know what the answer is. And I know people say the, the robot strike zones. There was a video that was posted this past week from former major leaguer Jordan Pacheco, who's in the uh, Atlantic League, and showed a, uh, showed a pitch that uh, was way outside and called a strike. Everything I've read about the robot strike zones right now is that the human strike zones are still more accurate than the robots. I'm all in on the <laughs> robots once the technology is to at a point where it's better than the humans, but everything I've read says it's not better than humans right now. So I just I don't even know what the answer is. No, me me neither. And I know it's fun to jump in on the robot umpiring bandwagon, but uh, that's not anything that's happening anytime soon. I think the frustrating part for us as baseball fans is that it doesn't feel to us like there's any accountability no. when umpiring is bad. Now, there may be. It may be behind the scenes and we just don't know about it. Um, but the fact that we don't know about it is what makes it all the more frustrating. It seems, you know, a baseball player is bad at their job. Um, they're going to be demoted. They're going to get less playing time. You know, there are consequences to those actions. Um as far as we know as fans, you know, what is it that happens to an umpire who consistently has a bad zone or is consistently, 
you know, having plays overturned by a replay because they're not getting them right in the first place. Um, I, I don't know. And I think that's why. And you now have these things like, you know, obviously MLB game day, but you also have fun Twitter accounts like um, scorecards that really show how accurate or inaccurate some of these guys are. And so they're under more of a microscope than they ever used to be. And fans have more knowledge as to how potentially wrong they are sometimes. Yet we don't know what's being done about it. And so, you know, it's it's hard not to be frustrated as a fan when that's the case. Yeah, and umpires get in-season vacations, which I'm totally fine with because they're never home. Umpires are, you know, they're on the road all year mm-hmm. long. So that's a, that's a really tough life to live. So I've never had an issue with umpires getting vacation time inside of the season. I think it's well-deserved. But we hear there's always rumblings that there is some accountability when it comes to umpires, but we don't, we don't know about it. And if all of a sudden an umpire is just not umping, the assumption is that it's their vacation. We have no idea if they're being suspended or anything like that. It's, it's incredibly frustrating. The umpires' union is way too strong. There is zero mm-hmm. accountability. Uh, I think Major League Baseball needs to take over more, more control. I've talked about before, you know, basically Major League Baseball stepping in, putting their own rules into effect. If the union says no, they, they employ umpires who step away from the union. If they want to reunionize once they have already kind of come into the new the new setup, that's fine. This is not an anti-union statement by me, but it is a uh, the current union provides too much protection for the umpires, and Major League Baseball needs to do something to fix it. And if that means not working with the current union anymore and basically allowing them reunionizing into a new union, and I don't know the legal ramifications, if you can even do that or not. Uh, I'm not a union lawyer, but... I just I know that Major League Baseball at some point in time has to take more control and there needs to be more accountability, more transparencies, uh, you know, things like that. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, and when you talk about the transparency, I think the, one of the perfect examples of that is um, the current replay system. Um, I know Tom Hodricord of the Journal Sentinel preaches that quite a bit about how, you know, when these replays happen and it seems like a seemingly clear either overturn or not and then it doesn't go that way we have no idea what it is they're looking at why they made their decision unlike the replay systems in a lot of other sports um and so just one more frustrating uh, log to throw on the fire i guess and the perfect example and I, I tweeted something out about this the other day and i deleted it because i didn't i didn't want it to look personal and it really isn't personal so i I'm truly telling this story to try to use it as an example more than anything else. And this isn't anything that's public knowledge. A lot of people who um, who are listening to this podcast know this. And if you go if you go Google Brian Onora arrest, you can find it. During the off season, Brian Onora was arrested in a sex sting at a massage parlor. He was caught allegedly doing some very you know paying for something that you're not supposed to pay for. We'll put it that way. And you know, look at what just happened with Trevor Bauer. And I'm not trying to complete, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but Major League Baseball is not going to let Trevor Bauer pitch again until they get that stuff figured out. And they may never let him pitch again, period, if he did the things that he's being accused of. So there you have Brian Onora, who gets arrested in a sex sting in Youngstown, Ohio during the offseason. And this dude is still umpiring. Like, that's a, to me, that's an issue. Yeah. I hard to argue with that. Um, 
I, I don't know. Um, and it, 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 again, this isn't us, you know, trying to judge the details of the case or anything like that. It's it, it's talking about two similar situations where one's allowed to continue doing his job and the other is not. And, you know, where's the fairness in that? Yeah, it, it makes it makes zero sense. But uh, let's let's move on. Uh, just a few more questions for you before we uh, let you go as the Brewers are going into the All-Star break. I, I'll be honest with you. I'll, I'll give you my answer before I even ask you. I am I am still concerned about this team offensively because when they are playing good teams, and we've seen it uh, in, the, in their games against Cincinnati, their games against the Mets, they are still having a real struggle scoring runs, and they're not getting much production out of first base. They're not getting much production out of center field. Maybe that gets better when Lorenzo Cain gets back, but he wasn't putting up you know, huge numbers before he gets injured either. Uh, the trade deadline is just a, just a few weeks away. How how concerned are you about this team's ability to score runs against good teams? I, I think there's absolutely has to be concern, um, and it needs to be looked at going into the trade deadline. Um, again, you know, having a couple of these guys, um, especially Colton Wong, you know, this guy hitting – uh, right around 300 um, is a huge boost to the offense when he's healthy. Um, so that's absolutely going to help. But um, we still have kind of a hole over there at first base, even with big rowdy Tellas uh, <laughs> coming to the team. Um, not quite sure when uh, Vogelback is going to come back. Don't know if um, acquiring Rowdy was because perhaps he's going to be out a little longer than expected. Keston Hira. Um, has been off and on. Um, he had dipped down a little bit before, you know, a couple of these uh, most recent games where he was getting hits again. Um, but I think first base needs to be uh, addressed, hopefully, through the trade deadline. Third base, is Luis Arias going to be able to hold it down over there? I know it's not, he's not your prototypical guy, but um, he's been, for the most part, doing well offensively. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, in the outfield, um, I, I think that's tough because you have... You have essentially five outfielders with Tyrone Taylor on the roster, um, but how many of them are performing at a high level at any given time outside of, you know, Avisail Garcia, basically? Um, so I think they have some tough decisions to make there. And to be honest, though, with me, I think they need to look at the bullpen as well among all of this. Mm-hmm. And so you've got really three areas between corner infield, outfield, and bullpen um, that they need to consider addressing, and that's a lot of moves to make. Um, and the Brewers, as we know, only have so many assets. Um, having a minor league system that, among most sites, is not ranked particularly highly because they don't have a lot of the top-end talent ready. So um, I have to imagine they can only make so many moves. So do you address what parts of the offense do you address? Um, do you address the bullpen? Do you go out and grab... You know, fifth starter, I, I think that's lower on the priority list, but it's still something they could consider. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I have a concern about it, and I, I hope they do something. Yeah, as far as the relief pitchers go, like David Stearns has such a track record with bringing in relief pitchers. Like You just go through the Anthony Swarzak, Drew Pomerantz, Joaquin Soria, Jordan Lyles. Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of them. It's, I'm sure I'm missing some guys, guys that are brought in and are able to pitch High leverage innings. I agree with you. I love the job that uh, Jake Cousins has been doing. Uh, you know, Michael Sanchez has been doing. Like it's been spectacular. But these guys are, you know, 
guy, a guy taken out of independent ball or a guy that's signed as a 22-year-old out of the Dominican Republic when generally you're signed as a 16-year-old, can they keep doing what they're doing? Maybe, but is there as much of a chance that maybe they might start to falter, especially when a little bit more film on them gets out? I think that's a possibility, and I'm with you. I would, I would feel so much more comfortable if they had one or two more relief pitchers that you could really confidently put into high-leverage situations. Uh, but saying that, I also feel like you look at the track record of David Stearns, and they're going to get those guys, and it's not going to cost that much to get those guys. Yeah, totally agree. Um, he, he he will make the moves that need to be made to address that. Um, it just it, it feels a little different with the bullpen this season because it, it seems like most of the years prior, you had a two-headed, three-headed monster or something like that in the bullpen to where you had a pretty decent back half of the bullpen and maybe then you just add a couple arms to the middle and you're good. You know, last year you had Hayter and Devin Williams and Suter all really were very, very strong bullpen arms. Throw Freddie in there as well, actually. He performed very well out of the pen. Um, and then, you know, back in 2018, it was Knable, Jeffress, Hayter. And so you're just supporting them. This season, you have Hayter as um, your amazing piece. And past that, I mean, Devin Williams has been up and down. Boxberger has been good, but not locked down by any means. So, and then you have, you know, a lot of the arms that you mentioned. And so just feels like, you know, adding a couple more arms in there would make me feel at least a little bit more comfortable. And I think a lot of other fans as well. Um, but you're, you're so right. Um, Stearns knows exactly to where to find those types of guys to bring them in and just slide them in seamlessly. You mentioned Williams, and he's, gosh, he set such a high bar for himself last year, and it's just going to be really tough for him to repeat that. And his numbers this year are simply not going to be as good because he had a slow start to the season, didn't pitch much in spring coming off an injury, and then kind of had a slow start coming in. But you look at his numbers. This was in the postgame notes after Sunday's game. Over his last 15 appearances, he has a .69 ERA and has held opponents to a 178 batting average. He is walking more guys than he would like, but I still, I'm still pretty confident in Devin Williams in addition to Josh Hader. Yeah, I am too. Um, I just I, I want to see that consistency a little bit more. It seems like he's starting to find it, um, but there he went through one stretch early in the season where I kind of thought that, and then you know had a couple rough outings. So um, maybe this is a sign that he's kind of settling in because man, when you've got Williams and Hader to go against as an opposing team at the end of games, it's it, outside of just these recent couple over the weekend. For the most part, that's uh, been lights out. Yeah, there's, you know, the one of the big topics of conversation on my post game show on Sunday was: Is there a reason to be worried about Josh Hader? And to me, it's just every pitcher goes through a funk at some point in the year. Uh, good pitchers get those funks kind of out of the way and limit how long they go. I have no reason to be worried about Hader here at the moment. No, no, uh, it's it's going to happen, you know. You're, you're going to have those blips in the radar, and a hater is good enough, he's shown it in the past, that he'll turn it around quickly. Matt, uh, as we wrapped up, to go through kind of what's going on right now over at uh, Reviewing the Brew, and of course uh, you and David do the uh, the Cold Brew podcast each week. Just give a, a plug for everything going on. 
I uh, absolutely. Um, right now, it's a lot of draft coverage. Um, David, I, I will say himself, is very well versed on the draft, um, so you can get a lot of good info about some of the guys that the Brewers are going to be bringing in here over the next few days. Um, so check that out. We'll be talking trade deadline, obviously, quite a bit, as a lot of people will. Um, and then over at the podcast, um, you know, uh, you've been uh, kind enough to grace us with your present presence as well as a bunch of other great guests so um come and check that out as well and uh just get some good brewers analysis any uh any early thoughts uh where as we're as we're doing this conversation about 40 minutes ago an hour ago or so uh the the brewers did make their selection in the first round they took uh boston college outfitter uh south freelick uh, i i'll be honest you know when it comes to the draft I am I am nowhere near an expert on on the players that are coming coming out. It's a uh, I talk from a from a position of uh, ignorance more than anything else. But uh, you look at some of his numbers. Uh, he certainly looks like somebody who can uh, get on base and uh, maybe do a little bit of damage on the bases. Yeah, um, he's got. If you take a real quick glance at MLB Pipeline's profile on him, he's got a sixty grade hit tool, seventy grade speed. Um, so, you know, kind of similar, actually, to they're very different players. Don't get me uh, wrong, but um, similar in that hit and speed to um, Garrett Mitchell, mm-hmm. who just came out. Um, Garrett Mitchell, much closer to a five tool guy. So, again, not comparing the two. Um, but Freilich, uh he was ranked 11th on uh, MLB Pipeline for overall draft prospects. The same, actually, over at ESPN. And so he was ranked highly for a reason. Um, and we'll see what he brings to the team. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, great stuff. Encourage people to follow you on Twitter at MKEMatt13. Matt, thanks so much for the time. Look forward to having another conversation in the future. Absolutely, anytime. Matt Carroll joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. That's just about going to do it for uh, this edition of the podcast. Uh, no, no Brewers games this week. Well, until Friday, no Brewers games during the bulk of the midweek. Let's put it that way. As uh, the Brewers, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they'll be off. Got the All-Star game with five. Five Brewers in the All-Star game once again. That's been the number they've been getting more often than not uh, lately. All very deserving. I was very happy when Omar Nervaez got picked uh, or selected as as an injury replacement, uh, joining the previous three members who were announced from the beginning, and Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and Josh Hader. And then, of course, uh, you also have um, Freddie Peralta, who was added as an injury replacement. They're not injury replacement, but a camp pitch replacement for Brandon Woodruff after Woodruff uh, pitched on Sunday. But very cool to see that kind of representation for the Brewers in the All-Star Game, which will be coming up this week in Denver. Thanks so much for being tuned in. We look forward to talking to you next week. First, we'll talk to you on Friday for Brewers Externings on WTMJ. Uh, Brewers Weekly will be heard Thursday night on WTMJ. I will not be hosting. Uh, I am taking a few days of uh, vacation time before uh, things pick up again coming up on Friday. So Greg Matzik will be in for myself coming up on Thursday night on WTMJ for Brewers uh, Weekly. But then I'll be back with you coming up on Friday night for Brewers Extra Innings. And uh, we look forward to talking to you there. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.